For a moment, put aside everything you know about the Ramsey case. Imagine, hypothetically, you're a resident of Boulder. It's the day after Christmas, around noon. You're walking your dog in Chautauqua Park when you make a horrifying discovery. The body of a child. She's dressed in what appears to be pajamas, with tape on her mouth. Her wrists have been bound with cord, and she's been strangled with some kind of garrote. You call the police. They inform you that this child was reported as having been kidnapped that same morning. They tell you they'd received a 911 call around 10 o'clock. The girl's hysterical mother had told them that her child was missing and that someone had left a ransom note in their house. She said her husband had tried to follow the instructions in the ransom note by going to the bank and getting the money, but the kidnappers had not called when they said they would. So here's my question. In this scenario, does the kidnapping make sense? I mean, when you look at this garroted child in the park, can you imagine a plausible series of actions by a kidnapper that would result in the child being found in this state? I think most people would answer yes. Given these circumstances, you can envisage a certain sequence of events where the kidnapper snatched the child from her bed, immediately took her out of the house to some other location, such as their car or their hideout, and then decided to strangle the child and dump her body in the park. That would be a totally believable sequence for a kidnapping case. But now consider another hypothetical scenario. Imagine the police are called to this girl's home much earlier. They're shown the ransom note and told the girl is missing. But while conducting their initial search of the home, they open an obscure latched door in the basement and discover the girl's body, with the garrote, the wrist cords, and the tape already in place. Now it doesn't make sense as a kidnapping. This is why the Ramsey case seems so bizarre. It's like the kidnappers have got way ahead of themselves. All the things that logically should have happened after they got her out of the house had already been done to her. The kidnappers had done it all in advance. This is, I think, why most investigators believed this wasn't a real kidnapping. It looks more like someone had dressed Jean Benet up to resemble a victim of that first kidnapping scenario, but never got the chance to dump her in the park. This hypothetical is a good way to start making sense of the ransom note. Without further ado, here is that ransom note in its entirety. Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account, $100,000 will be in $100 bills, and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attaché to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. 
you will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It's up to you now, John. Victory, SBTC. That ransom note is the one thing that makes this case unlike any other. We know the note was written on Patsy Ramsey's personal notepad. The pen used to write the note was found in its usual place in the Ramsey home. The content of the note is bizarre. It refers in great detail to a kidnapping for ransom that never happened. At three pages, it's the longest ransom note in American history. It's estimated it would have taken around 20 minutes to write. That's quite a risk for an intruder to take when they could have just brought a note with them to the house. The circumstances in which the note was found are a little uncertain. On day one, Patsy Ramsey told Officer French she had checked John Benet's room before finding the note. She found John Benet's room empty and then discovered the note as she walked down the stairs. A month later, talking to CNN, Patsy's story was slightly different. I had gotten dressed and was on my way to the kitchen to make some coffee. And I always come down that staircase. And the note was lying across one of the stair treads. And I started to read it. And I immediately ran back upstairs and pushed open her door. And she was not in her bed. Either way, Patsy was alone when she claims to have found the note. We have no eyewitnesses of her actually finding it. We only have Patsy's word. Police consulted four handwriting analysts to compare the note with handwriting samples from various suspects. They all agreed John Ramsey did not write that ransom note. They also excluded a long list of other suspects after comparing their handwriting samples. In fact, the only person in this entire investigation who could not be excluded as the author was Patsy Ramsey. Two of the handwriting analysts, Chet Yubowski and Leonard Specken, are on record as believing that Patsy Ramsey wrote that note. This evidence has, of course, been disputed by the Ramseys and their defense team. They hired their own handwriting analysts. We have had handwriting experts to look at my handwriting as well. But interestingly, even they were unable to exclude Patsy as the author. On top of this, there's been a frenzy of speculation about other apparent clues hidden in the ransom note. 
Some of this speculation is quite reasonable. There's an element of disguise involved. These misspellings, they were inserted for a reason to make it look like it's somebody other than who it really was. Other claims are much more questionable. Small foreign faction. Apparently, Scott Carruthers considered himself to be foreign, actually an extraterrestrial. He used to maintain he was from a dimension called victory in the Kabbalah mystical belief system. Much has been made of similarities between the note and lines from popular movies. Mr. Stone, listen very carefully. We have kidnapped your wife. I have your son. You are to obtain a new black American tourist or briefcase. In it, you will place $500,000 in unmarked, non-sequentially numbered $100 bills. No new bills, no marked bills. The money will fit into two Samsonite hardshell suitcases. If you notify the police, your wife will be killed. If you notify the media, she will be killed. If you deviate from our instructions in any way whatsoever, she will be killed. Do not involve the police or the FBI. If you do, I will kill him. Do not inform the media or I will kill him. No tracking devices in the money or the cases or I will kill him. If you talk to anyone, I don't care if it's a Pekingese pissing against a lamppost, the girl dies. Do not attempt to grow a brain. We have no qualms about killing and will do so at the slightest provocation. Those quotes come from Dirty Harry, Speed, the 1986 comedy Ruthless People, and the Mel Gibson film Ransom, which was one of the most popular movies of 1996, the year of the killing. Interestingly, Ransom also contains an image of a kidnapped child, bound with cords and with tape on their face. The note writer was clearly drawing on Hollywood cliches. The overall style of the note is very flamboyant, with the use of figurative and hyperbolic expressions. You are not the only fat cat around. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, don't try to grow a brain, John. This is something that the note writer also has in common with Patsy Ramsey. They would have arrested us in a New York minute. And his ego is the size of a barn. I don't give a flying flip how scientific it is. Go back to the damn drawing board. And you would have met your Waterloo, Mr. Thomas. Quit screwing around asking me about things that are ridiculous. I think it's likely that this note writer also had a real-life case in mind. The famous kidnapping of Patty Hearst in 1974. Patty was kidnapped as a political statement against her father. There's been a big kidnapping on the West Coast. The victim is Patricia Hearst, the daughter of newspaper executive Randolph Hearst and a granddaughter of the legendary William Randolph Hearst. The young heiress was forced into the trunk of a white car. Her abductors, armed with pistols and a rifle, fired a hail of bullets as they sped away. Greetings to the people and fellow comrade, brothers and sisters. My name is Sin Q. I hold the rank of General Field Marshal in the United Federated Forces of the Symbionese Liberation Army. The SLA has arrested the subject for the crimes that her mother and father have by their actions committed against we, the American people, and the oppressed people of the world. In closing, I wish to say to Mr. Hurst and Mrs. Hurst, I am quite willing to carry out the execution of your daughter, and if, as you and others so naively believe, that we will lose, let it be known that even in death we will win. It's plausible that the Symbionese Liberation Army, or SLA, with their diatribes against fascist corporations and their declarations of victory, served as a model for SBTC. 
This potentially gives us a clue about the note writer's age. Patty Hearst's kidnapping was a huge news story for people of a particular generation. Note that Patty Hearst was just two years older than Patsy Ramsey. From a basic overview of the note, there are some broad personality traits we can assume about the writer. To come up with an elaborate fake kidnapping, and actually think you could get away with writing this absurd note, requires someone who is creative, a little naive about real-life kidnappings, and fiercely self-confident in the feasibility of their own eccentric ideas. As I'll explain in the next episode, there's no one in this case who fits that profile better than Patsy Ramsey. It's an incredible coincidence that someone with this exact kind of eccentric personality just happened to live in that house, just happened to find that note while nobody was looking, and just happened to have handwriting consistent with the note. In spite of all these coincidences, people continue to argue back and forth about the identity of the author. In my view, there's been so much discussion about who wrote the note, we have overlooked an equally important question. Why was this note written in the first place? It seems like everybody just takes it for granted that the note makes no sense. For supporters of the Ramses, it's the ravings of a crazed killer. Well, that, that makes no sense, nor does SBTC, and that was, that's baffling. This person doesn't think like you and I do. This person is not gonna make sense. The case is as it seems to be. Don't make it complicated. For those who are suspicious of the Ramses, it's just three pages of nonsense designed to deflect suspicion. The purpose of the note is to mislead investigators. 76% of this is extraneous. It's, it's not necessary. To me, they're trying to sell this now. It's a sales job. I think both of these views are a little simplistic. There's more we can learn from this note, not just about the identity of the author, but about the crime itself. In fact, I think it's probably the most important piece of evidence we have. But we need to look at its purpose. A person doesn't sit down and write three pages of text just for the heck of it. This note served a specific instrumental purpose. First of all, it's addressed to John Ramsey. That's important. It's not addressed to Patsy. It's also extremely specific. A note that was merely designed to deflect suspicion would not need to be more than a few sentences, but this one goes into great detail about what it wants John to do. On top of this, as we noted last episode, the crime scene doesn't really fit the model of a textbook staging. As Officer French noted in his police report, There was no obvious signs of a forced entry or struggle. Mr. Ramsey told me that the house appeared to have been locked up as it had been left. We also know the body was hidden in the basement. If the stager intended the note for police, there'd be no reason to hide the body. Rather, you'd leave it out where police could find it. I don't think this staging was done for police at all. The stager had not thought that far ahead. In my view, this entire note was targeted at John Ramsey. So let's follow this idea. What is the exact message that this note is conveying to John? I think we can express this broadly into four key messages. Number one, go to the bank. Bring an adequate size attaché to the bank. The note lays out a very specific, time-consuming task. 100,000 will be in $100 bills, and the remaining 18,000 in $20 bills. Number two, tell no one. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, 
she dies. The note repeats over and over again that if John speaks to anybody, his daughter will be killed. Speaking to anyone about your situation will result in your daughter being beheaded. The third key message is, don't get any ideas. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. The writer is emphasizing that all John has to do is follow those instructions. Don't try to grow a brain, John. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. Number four, finally, go early. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. This is a line that has always stood out to me in the ransom note. There is no reason for a real kidnapper to say this, but there's also no reason for a guilty parent to write that sentence if their only purpose is to shift suspicion away from themselves. Why would the note writer be so intent on getting John to leave the house earlier rather than later? It seems to me like they want to get him out of the house as soon as possible. In fact, I think that sentence is the most telling line in the whole note. The note writer very badly wanted John Ramsey to leave the house and to leave as early as possible, to ask no questions, not to search the house, not to call the police or anyone else, not even to think. Just do what the note said. The note is absolutely insistent about these points. It seems to me that when John Ramsey woke up that morning, the planned staging of this crime was not yet finished. There was a final phase in the plan, but the stager needed to get John out of the house to complete it. That is why Jean Benet was hidden in the basement. She was never meant to be found there. She was meant to be found much later, outside the home, all dressed up as a kidnapping victim who had been killed and dumped by her kidnappers. The note writer just needed to buy some time to get the body out of the house without John finding out what had really happened. That's where the note came in. The writer desperately needed a reason to get John Ramsey out of the house for a while. We can, of course, question whether such a plan would ever actually work. Obviously, whoever wrote this note was in a state of complete desperation. This was not something planned in advance. This theory also explains another puzzling line in the note. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. People typically talk about this line as some kind of clue to the writer's gender, as though a woman would not be able to resist making some kind of motherly remark. There are at least six examples of what I would call maternalistic language. I think this is total nonsense. That line, like every other line in this note, serves a purpose in that plan. If John woke up in the middle of the night, say at two or three in the morning, and read that note, it's likely he would have wanted to search the house. The stager needed an excuse to make sure John stayed in one place and didn't go snooping around the basement. When someone has just been told their child has been kidnapped, you can't exactly tell them to sit down and do nothing or go back to bed, unless the ransom note specifically warns them that the delivery will be exhausting. That line again points to a scenario in which the stager is hiding something from John and trying desperately to remain in control of what he does next. 
Again, this all points to a frantic and desperate staging. If that plan went ahead, John Ramsey would leave in his car, giving Patsy the opportunity to take the body somewhere else, perhaps even to discover the body herself, somewhere outside the home. We're so used to thinking about the Ramsey case being contained within that house, it's easy to forget that in other homicide cases it's very common for killers to transport the body away from the scene of the killing. If you read it this way, the note actually makes perfect sense. It is a practical object. Every line in that note is a necessary part of that plan that was never completed. It explains why the body was hidden. It explains why the note was so specific. It explains why the staging seemed incomplete. Above all, when we read the note with this theory in mind, we can hear the voice of somebody desperately trying to convince John Ramsey to do what the note says. John, listen carefully. Your daughter is safe. Just follow our instructions and you will get her back. Don't talk to anyone. Don't try to outsmart us. You must follow our instructions. Bring an attaché to the bank. Get the money early. If you get the money early, we might call you early. John, don't underestimate us. Follow my instructions. There are, of course, many different theories about who exactly was involved in the killing. In the next few episodes, we're going to look more closely at each of these theories, assessing their strengths and weaknesses, to address perhaps the most mystifying question of all, the motive. This podcast features music from Coag on YouTube, vocal contributions from Eric Peabody and Meredith Nudo, production assistance provided by Magnolia Studios, Visit our site for full attributions and references.